Hey, how's it going? This is another episode of Filmstreak. My name is Rob, and with Filmstreak, every episode here, I'm going to talk about some films that I've been catching up on or just watching, uh, all stuff that I've never seen before. And I've seen a lot of movies, um, well into the thousands at this point, but uh, there's still a lot that I haven't seen, and there's always new stuff coming out. And so, you know, with this episode, uh, we're in the middle of October here, so I'm doing a lot of, uh, I w- this is always my time of year to watch horror movies, to just have a little bit of fun, have a little bit of uh, suspense. And so here now, as part of Film Streak, I wanted to take the opportunity to run into uh, a whole different genre or subgenre of horror movies that I've never really gotten into. And uh, this being the Italian genre of the giallo, which is uh, basically a type of or a certain formula for mystery, thriller, slash, uh, actually kind of bloody horror film. Um, there are certain rules to it, as I learn, you know, watching some of these. Uh, there, There's a very very distinct approach to films in this genre. And some of them, some of them stray from that, right? Some of them really kind of uh, keep it simple. Some get very complicated. And uh, it's interesting just to see, like, this is a thing that this genre really hit its peak in the 70s. In the 1970s, or even in the late 60s, uh, there was a wave of, let's say crime thrillers and uh, they started to become more and more violent, more and more um, complicated, complex with the plots and the characters. Uh, The settings were oftentimes uh, urban settings, you know, something in the city, part of a, you know, the crime in the city type of story, but even that started to branch out. And uh, at some point, as we get into the late seventies um, or into the eighties, other like supernatural elements started to come into it, and the horror got even more uh, graphic and complex. So, uh, you know, for me, it was I, I would have probably ever only ever seen like the tail end of that, if at all. And so. It's it's funny, some of the names I certainly recognize, some of the filmmakers that were involved with the genre I recognize, but I didn't really know their work. And I certainly didn't know this 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 particular era of their work. So let's dive into it. Let's uh let's get started and we'll go through um we'll go through and just see some of the differences. And I'll tell you this was actually kind of a fun experiment in a way. It didn't really make um it didn't really make the most sense to do this, to kind of jump back in time, you know, going all the way back to the 60s and 70s. I, I was trying to watch a lot of current or, or recent releases, but I think this deserves it. This is a really interesting wave of films that uh, it, it it's since kind of passed, but um, it's really opened my eyes to some new things. So, all right, let's get started here. This is Film Streak number 141. This is Blood and Black Lace. A house of high fashion, a dazzling whirl of elegance, 
of exotic, extravagant beauties. An adventurous journey into the devastating allure of the most sophisticated women and their intimate secrets. Suddenly, these lace curtains ignite a drama that will lacerate your emotions. Blood and black lace. <coughs> who is this shrouded, sadistic, sordid fiend who maims and murders? Why this bloodthirsty orgy, this holocaust of lives? Blood and black lace in bleeding color. Shattering, shivering, shocking experience. So this film is maybe one of the earliest that I could find that, uh, just to be honest, just the premise caught my attention. And it's directed by a filmmaker, his name is Mario Bava, and really looking back, uh, it's kind of becomes clear he's one of the uh, first the one of the founders, one of the masters of this genre. And it's mostly because I, I there's another film that was that he did before this. I think it was like in 1962. Uh, I think it was called The Girl Who Knew Too Much. And that I think by most accounts that I've seen is really the one that kicked it off. And it was a black and white film, very much the same type of story and the same approach to the filmmaking and storytelling, but this was the next step, the, the the next evolutionary step where it's in color, it's the the camera work, the the performances are are just that much more that much better. And uh even the story itself, it seems a little more complex from what I can tell. So this is the one I decided to watch first. And um I'll tell you it, it it's an interesting watch. It's a premise that I feel like we've probably seen at some point uh, over the years, over the last what, 60 years almost. We've seen this story in different ways. It's just funny to see like this was maybe one of the first iterations of it and the way it's done and, and really done pretty well. I mean, I I just didn't know. I didn't know what I'd be getting into going into some... Uh, you know, 50 and 60 year old Italian movies. I, when you think about horror movies just here from America and the quality that they have taken, the, the leap in quality that has happened over time, going back to the 60s and 70s, it seems like it could be a little bit of a gamble. But, you know, this film, it looks stunning. The The production of it is... Top notch, really. The story itself, it, it has intrigue. It has some mystery to it. And um, I just think uh, this was, if this was the one that really got everybody's attention and really set a different trend 
in this genre, I can believe it. So let me break down a little bit of what this is, just just so we have a little bit of uh, it, the stories are kind of all going to start to seem the same at some point, but I'll just kind of go into them in a general way. And Blood and Black Lace. It's a story of a um, a killer who is striking this fashion house in Rome, and uh, he starts uh, starts with the murder of, of a model, and the the mystery the investigation into who is doing this and you know it it starts to become a thing of well different people could be the suspect so it's a little bit of the characters are trying to figure out who's doing it but also you're trying to figure out who's doing it and it's a signature thing of the giallo genre is that the killer in these films strikes multiple times and sometimes strikes very unexpectedly and is almost always uh, cloaked or disguised or hidden in some way. And sometimes it's very cartoonish. Um, and this film, you know, it it walks that line. It's, it's someone in an overcoat with a hat and like a mask on their face. Like a, like a, almost like a pantyhose bank robber mask, right? And so you're never really sure who it is. And that's the idea It's kind of keep you on your toes as the audience try to guess like who's doing this. And so this model dies. People start to try and figure out who did it. Other models start dying. And ultimately, the, the killer is discovered. The plan, the reason why all this is happening is revealed. And, uh, you know, I just think um, there's... There's a part of this that feels innovative, feels like a, a different way to tell this story. And, and you know, the only problem now is that watching a film like this, a story like this, we've seen it so many times and it's bled into other types of other genres and other types of stories that it's hard to see the innovation there. But, you know, with respect to when this was released, when this was made... Um, yeah, I could see how it would have been really uh, a whole new way of doing this. And now, uh, let me back this up, though, because the Gialli style, the storytelling technique, it does come out of a, I guess, a wave of crime novels. And I'll talk about this more later, but it, it does speak to how complicated a story can be with the characters and the settings and all the motivations of that. That seems very like something. It seems like something that will come out of literature. Something will come out of writing. And sometimes the films can feel like they're trying to cram a lot into what is maybe not really possible in the film format. But I think most of these really pull it off in a good way. So here with Blood and Black Lace, let me just kind of get to this and wrap this up a little bit. I like this. I, I I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but the way that this film is made, the way that it's put together. Now, remi- remember, I mean, this is almost 60 years old. So some of the, let's say, the special effects with some of the killing and some of the, even some of the acting, it, it could use some work. But if this, if you look at it as like, this is maybe one of the earliest entries into this. And you consider, 
everything that goes into making a film, you can appreciate it on some level. If you back up and look at what the story is and what it's trying to say. And so, you know, there there are some of these stories that they do get into higher minded themes and concepts, you know, where it's it's maybe commenting on society or upper class society or um, greed or even grief and how people handle that and how people move through that type of situation. But for me, Blood and Black Lace, I think it's a really great place to start. There are certainly other films that are around this time that might make a little more sense depending on your taste, but this one's not bad. This one's a good one to start with. All right, so great, great, great. So now we'll go to Film Streak 142. This is A Bay of Blood. So I'll tell you, A Bay of Blood is a film that deserves way more credit than it gets. Yes, it's part of this wave of Gialli films from the 70s, but there's so much that has really come out of this film that worked its way into American horror films, such as Friday 13th, Halloween, some of those like slasher franchises, because this film takes a different approach to the formula that the Giallo had already established in the sense that it takes all of his characters, all of the setting out of the city and it revolves around one specific location. And the beginning of the film, uh, an older woman, she dies or she's killed (laughs) really pretty brutally. Actually, it's a pretty intense way to kick off a movie. But throughout the story, other people, family, friends are coming to this property, this big uh, old estate, and they're trying to either find their way to claim it or to get a piece of it or whatever. And it does start to feel like, oh, you start to see like the knives come out. The people are coming for each other, trying to one up each other. In subtle ways, and then also there is somebody, one of this group, is killing everybody else. And the the killings themselves, here's where I think we get the inspiration for so many American films, is that the killings are entirely graphic. I mean, for a, a film made in 1971, I feel like this was pushing the envelope. And... uh 
Even a couple of them made their way as homage or tribute or whatever into the first Friday the 13th film. And so that's kind of the level here. And yet the story doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't tip you off that those things are going to happen. And I think that's what's so interesting about this. You know, if you go to watch a Friday the 13th film, you kind of know what you're getting into. You know, except for maybe the first one. Any of these other quote-unquote slasher films, well, you know that deaths are going to be violent, they're going to be gruesome, they're going to be surprising. So th- by that nature, they're not really surprising because you know. You're waiting for it. And this film... It doesn't play that way. I mean, there are, there are moments that uh, build a little bit of suspense, but the story from from a just objective standpoint, it just could seem like um, a little bit of like a family drama or, you know, the more uh, scheming, plotting kind of a scenario. But when you see like, well, somebody here is clearly taking this way serious and they're just knocking people off. Okay, now... You really up the stakes. You change the whole game. And so that's where Bay of Blood, I feel like, really, really makes its mark. And I'll give this a recommendation. I don't feel like it's as strong as Blood and Black Lace but, uh, or some of the other films here. But I do like that it, it was what, what seems like the mold that everybody else fell into for this type of film. So, got to give it credit where it's due. So, uh, all right. So, that's Bay of Blood. Um, I'm, I'm keeping these simple on the plot because all of these involve a central mystery and there's spoilers to what happens and who is behind killing you know people in these. So, I don't want to give too much of that away. I'm just talking about more overall the effect and the... the um, the history that they've left behind as part of this genre. So anyway, that's a Bay of Blood. That's number 142. Now, let's get to the only filmmaker that I recognized on this list before diving into this. But I do want to I do want to talk about this film because it feels like it's uh it's a little bit of a big deal. So let's get into this. This is film streak number 143. This is Don't Torture a Duckling. L'unica cosa certa è che loro adesso hanno di nuovo paura. Aurelia Vallone e quella là con la bambina in braccio. Thank <laughs> you. 
volevi regalare una bambola? Sì, ma facevano tutte schifo. L'unico decente era quel paperino. E qui. E qui. E qui. E qui. Lo sento. È qui! L'assassino è qui! È qui! L'assassino è qui! È qui! Lo sento! È qui! All right, so now, look. Um, this is a film by director, uh, writer and director Lucio Fulci. And... Uh, the name rings a bell to me because I'd seen some of his later films, which are much more clearly horror films, or as we probably think of them today. Uh, you know, he directed um, a film called Zombie, which to me is just kind of a zombie genre classic. And that was from, you know, several years later. It was 1979. But this, Don't Torture a Duckling, This was 1972, and this was when it hadn't quite reached that level of uh, horror yet, you know. Instead, or put it this way, it wasn't a thing where it was obvious what you were about to watch. This is a story of, uh, again, similar to Bay of Blood. This is outside of the city. This is in a small town in Italy where it's discovered that children are being murdered. And the police and some people in the community are trying to figure out who's doing this. And yet, because it's a small town, uh, you know, there are some, you know, just people who are either superstitious or or have certain beliefs that they think there may be some other element at play here. And uh and so it's about exploring that mentality and exploring what that mindset does to people, right? And yet on the, <laughs> at the same time there are some pretty disturbing elements of the film um You know, we start to meet the different people that live in this small town. Some of them seem like they're more obviously um, the culprit here, the suspect. And some of them just seem very odd and maybe eccentric and just suspicious in general. And so, you know, we, we find that there's a priest that um, is trying to help the kids and, and protect them and look out for them. And yet there are others that seem to kind of prey on the kids. You know, there's a, a woman who lives in the in the small town who is basically outcast from her city life um, after, you know, scandals with drugs and whatever, and is looking for a, a little bit of an escape or retreat or whatever. So she's in this small town. And there's, there's a famous or infamous scene where she's, kind of propositioning a child and it's really disturbing to think that this could be the person and this could be how it happens you know this kind of like grooming or predatory nature it's like it 
it feels like this wouldn't have been in a movie today or would have been super uncomfortable. And even this one is uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. It's strange because it's played a, a little bit nonchalant, but also like your eyes recognize what you're watching. And your mind is telling you, something here is not right. This isn't adding up. And even when the people of this small town think they found who did this, uh, they decide to get their justice. And they do it their way. And so you think the story is done. And it turns out, maybe not. And I don't want to say more because I want... If you haven't seen this, I want you to experience it. But just know that this film has some surprises in it. And uh, and they're they're pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the interesting thing here is I think this plays more on the mystery element of it. You know, let's be clear. I mean, there is certainly murder in this film. And it's uh, a mystery of who is doing it. But I think overall, the the approach that this one takes is more about the effect that this has on people and a town and, a, and you know a community. How does a community react to this? It's horrible. It's horrifying. But not just to one person or not just to a small group of people. It's like a small town. What happens there? And and that's not to say that this film created that, but um, it uses that device pretty effectively because. You're just not clear, and you start to feel like the the paranoia and the the concern that these characters are feeling. So, in that regard, you know, this one is a watch. It's it's not necessarily for the faint of heart, and and it's not that it's super graphic. It's just the subject matter. You know, it's pretty disturbing when you have a story about you know murdered children, and you see someone preying on children. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. But otherwise, it's a recommendation. I really think most of these are going to be recommendations. So that is Don't Torture a Duckling. That's by Lucio Fulci. And now let's keep it moving. Let's get to 144 here on Film Streak. Your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Wow, that's a title, you know, right? <laughs> can we can we get more words in this title? I, I feel like there's a little bit of room, right? Now, I'll be honest, um, I didn't really have a mind to see this film, but this title alone, uh, I had to understand what the hell this even means. So. That, and I discovered that uh, this is directed by Sergio Martino, which is also another filmmaker who uh, was really responsible for building this genre and like making it into what it is. So watching this film, um, 
I'll admit the the premise didn't sound too interesting to me, but um, I figured I'd give it a shot. And what's what what did turn out to be a surprise, I guess, is the I guess some of the devices that it uses. You know, it's basically the story of uh, a couple who are uh, they're a wealthy couple. They live in this big mansion or whatever, and uh, they're kind of you know debaucherous. They're kind of wild. They they do they party. They you know they get a little freaky here and there. Okay, and uh, at some point, someone gets killed on their estate. And then it becomes a mystery of like, who did this and why they do it? And the husband is a little bit of a jerk. He's kind of an ass with everybody. The wife is maybe a little mentally unstable. You know, she's hearing things. She's hearing cats. She's seen, you know, visions of things. And um, it's really not clear, like, how... is this because there was a murder and it's affecting them this way? Or is it because this is who they are and that's why there's a murder, right? So that's kind of the central question is like, what is going on with these two people and how are all these people starting to die all around them? At that point, a new character is introduced. And this is a character of the the husband, the, the the man in this couple, his I believe is his niece that shows up from out of town. And even then, like he doesn't seem to recognize her like uh, she's grown or whatever. She looks older. There's a little bit of an odd. Um, there's an odd dynamic there. And so it even feels like suspicious. And. So in the time that she stays with them, she comes to visit, stays with them in the midst of these series of murders that are happening. Just, you know, hey, have guests. She stays and tries to spend time, but it also becomes an issue where he's got eyes on her now. And all of a sudden the wife is starting to become suspicious in different ways. And so now the relationship between these three starts to change where the wife starts to really um, lose her mind. And the husband trying to get with the niece over here, it's all like everything's starting to go off the rails and you just feel like, okay, now we're going to get to who's really doing this. One of these three people is behind this. And uh, so, again, without spoiling too much, I'll just say it is definitely one of these three people. And it's maybe not for the reason you think. Um, and it's certainly a surprise. Now, I'll say the, the thing that was interesting about this that I, I I didn't see coming is there's a little bit of a. I don't know if it's an imagined or if it is actually like a supernatural element to this. You know, I don't know if it's one of the characters is seeing this or feeling this, or if it's meant like I'm supposed to believe there's uh, some other thing at work here. And so that uh, it's like the first time it's I've seen it in the films that I've watched here. That's the first one where I've seen like, oh, there might be some other power involved. 
And it's generally not a part of this genre. So maybe that was uh, just kind of, you know, dancing with the idea and you could you could interpret it one way or the other. But I, I'll just say, I mean, this one wasn't as strong to me personally. I, I The craftsmanship is there. You know, a lot of it is on point with films of this genre of this era. But um, I, the premise, it didn't, didn't really do a whole lot for me. Um, you know, I guess in a way it's probably commenting or even poking at the wealthy and the kind of privileged life that they might have and how they see those uh, you know, below them or lower station than them or whatever, and how they kind of treat people as being disposable and, and um, non-essential and that kind of thing. So there is that to it. But uh, I don't know. Give it a watch if you feel like it. If this title alone just intrigues you, maybe that's part of it. Otherwise, um, I don't know. It's 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 barely a recommendation. Okay, I'm not saying it's a bad movie and you shouldn't watch it, but there are others here you should watch before this. I think personally, me, I'm just saying. Okay. All right, so we'll keep it moving now. We're going to get on to the next one here. This is 145, and this is Deep Red. I can feel. In this room, a present. You have killed, and you will kill again. The murderer is a schizophrenic paranoid. Anyone who kills with such friends surely does it in a state of temporary madness. And when he kills, he must recreate these specific conditions. Walking away from the building. You're doing messing around with this business anyway. I told you to stay out of it. What is it? Didn't you hear that? There's somebody in the house absolutely trying to kill me. If you hadn't stuck your damn nose in it all. I saw was a reflection in a mirror. I saw the face of the murderer. Now here is a film that uh, I think by by most accounts, by most um, you know, by most opinion, is probably the height of the genre. And, you know, I can certainly see that. This is a film by Dario Gento, uh, a name that I do recognize from some of his other later works, which do delve more into what we consider horror today. Um, but this, you know, this was probably the, the height of the Xiaoli wave. At least in terms of the storytelling, the craftsmanship, the style. And a little bit of the premise is um, there, it starts with a, a, 
a piano, um, a piano teacher, a pianist, whatever. Um, he's a musician. He's out one night. He's talking with a friend. They're out in the streets of Italy, and he witnesses a murder. He tries to figure out like what happened, and eventually combines efforts with a journalist who is also on this story, and they're trying to figure out who's doing this and why. Here's one thing I want to say about this is for even an audience today to watch this, there are still going to be some moments of real surprise and unsettling things that you're going to see. And, you know, the only thing that it it takes away from is that it, it looks like an older film, but not too much. You know, and and I that was actually my big takeaway from from watching this is that this Deep Red this was uh, released in 1975, and uh, you know, you watch an American film, American horror film released in 1975, and it looks like it. I mean, whether it was uh, craftsmanship, whether it was like locations or costume design or whatever. American filmmakers just did not have that together. Not all of them, you know? And of course, this Dario Argento is no slouch here. So this was obviously a a higher level filmmaker working with, you know, significant resources. So it looks good and it, it has a real feel of quality to it. And so, um, to look back at this film today and see that it looks relatively fresh. I think that's more because it's not an American film. There's just a different, I don't know, it's a different sensibility or even a matter of style, you know? It looks old, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there are no cell phones in the movie and there are no <laughs> You know, there are no modern cars in the movie and that kind of thing. But just the lighting, the camera work, it feels like a relatively modern movie. And that's maybe that's the big takeaway from Deep Red. I mean, the story itself and and the plot and all that. I mean, I could speak to that, but I feel like it's it follows a very similar format. There's obviously a big surprise or reveal at the end. And, uh, you know, and, and the, the killings are graphic and, you know, really unsettling. But I think the lasting effect that this one has had is that it hasn't aged badly. Some of these have not aged well <laughs> or have aged worse than others, put it that way. But this one is the one that I really feel like holds up. And so, um, this, I, I just, I, I feel like this was the best one I've watched. And so for me, it's a recommendation for sure. You know, there's something about the, the, the commentary on, well, let's see, how can I go into this? So there, at, at some point in the story, it's revealed that, um, one of the characters has a, uh, alternative lifestyle. Okay. We'll just put it that way. And uh, the way it's handled, um, 
it could have probably been done a little bit better. The way the main character, when he finds out about this and the way he handles it, the way he uh, acknowledges, that is at least, um, I don't know, that still feels modern. That still feels contemporary. The way the filmmaker kind of introduces it and um, almost mocks it. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I'm reading that the right way, but I feel like oh, so for some people that could be a little problematic, right? But otherwise, it just feels very modern. It feels like a film that it has the right mindset like of something that would have just come out recently even in the last 10 years so all right so that for me that's a big recommendation that's deep red that's by dario argento and uh we'll keep it moving all right so 146 this is dress to kill by brian de palma master of the macabre, who shocked audiences everywhere with Sisters, Carrie, Obsession, and The Fury, now invites you to a showing of the latest fashion in murder. <coughs> dressed to Kill, Michael Caine, Angie Dickinson, Nancy Allen, Dressed to Kill, Murder, Made to Order. So when this film was released, this was in 1980, and this is by Brian De Palma, so this is an American film. And I only put this in this group because I feel like this was the biggest, I guess, highest profile attempt by an American filmmaker to try and co-opt or, or make an American version of a giallo. And... There are some elements that are clearly from that formula, from that genre. There are some elements of this film that are something entirely different. And some of that may work for you. Some of that may not. The thing is trying to appreciate what De Palma was doing with this. And so let's just let, let me back up and go into the premise here a little bit. Um, this starts with. Uh, a couple, uh, I, I, really it's focused on the wife in this couple and her sexual dysfunction, you know, her, her recognizing that she's having an issue in her marriage and feeling maybe unappreciated or unsatisfied or, or, you know, she's just not getting it. And so she takes to, you know, the, 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 the idea of fooling around in a strange way. And I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it, it's talking ahead of its time 
it was hit with a lot of controversy that I remember. Now, I didn't see this one when it came out, but I do seem to, I remember the title and I feel like it was one of those that, oh, made the news because of something, right? Well, watching it now, I mean, this is now over 40 years later. I feel like there are still parts of this film that will raise your eyebrows, you know? Because uh, it talks about and goes into subject matter that, you know, it's not necessarily um, taboo anymore or, or things you don't talk about. But it's just the casual way that it talks about them. And in some parts, talks about them incorrectly, you know, by our m- modern contemporary understanding of things. That's where it's a problem. So... Without giving too much away, I guess, but I'll just say that there's a lot of talk about you know, marital dysfunction, sexual dysfunction, mental health, and what's crazy and who's crazy and how do you treat crazy. And uh, a lot of that is probably either incorrect or at this point just um, not the right way to look at stuff. And so then you have to wonder, well, kind of the whole premise of the movie is a problem. So you just kind of have to take it for, for what it is. And really, in a way, I think um, maybe go more with the flow of what's happening and just go for the ride. And it is a ride. I mean, that's the thing that I'll give De Palma here is while he does use elements of Giallo with the mystery killer, with the cloaked uh disguise and appearance of the killer and even the graphic nature of the killings uh, that all comes right out of giallo but other elements of this film feel like something entirely different and maybe that's a little bit of hitchcock and de palma is clearly obviously a, a big fan of hitchcock and the way he stages these set pieces and these uh, killings and the way he slows down time or gives you different perspectives on any given event. That's something that um, is, it wasn't really present so much in these other traditional giallo from, from Italian filmmakers, but here De Palma works that in in a different way. You know, there's a there's an entire portion of the film. There's a scene in the film where. Uh, The main character, played by Angie Dickinson, she's the wife who's kind of feeling not right in her marriage. She has an encounter with a a stranger, a strange man, at a museum. And the whole scene, I don't know, it lasts like five minutes, ten minutes. It seems like it goes on for a while. And it's just her kind of making eye contact or catching a glimpse of this man as he follows her and she follows him through a museum and nobody says a word. And yet it's the way it's all staged and you know where you are and you know where the characters are and you know kind of what they're doing and what, what their angle is. You, you can see what they're feeling and what they're attempting to do. Similar thing in the later in the film where there are some other characters that are involved where, um, you know, one of the killings happens in a tightly closed space in an elevator, and yet time slows down to where 
every single moment, every movement, every glint of light is important to what happens. And it seems like, you know, this is something that would probably take place in about 10 seconds. And yet it's blown out into like five minutes or whatever. It's just part of it is like, if if you understand what's going on, you can appreciate the, the idea there. If you don't, you just feel like, why is this movie going so slow? Well, you, you, <laughs> you just think about it and you understand why. But, uh, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate the Palma putting his touch on it in terms of these finely crafted sequences that really hone in on every single detail and why every detail matters. And in that respect, I, I get it. I like it. But overall, like I said, I think the the problem anybody might have with this film at this point I don't know about 1980, but at this point might be the way it handles uh, some of the characters' motives and especially the kind of incorrect or or I just feel like a little bit ignorant way of looking at mental health and someone in mental distress, put it that way. You know, and... (laughs) Uh, one thing I'll give a, as a standout note here is that I think, I don't know, this might have been the first time or the earliest that I'd seen Dennis Franz in anything. And yeah, dude was always Dennis Franz. <laughs> I mean, he's like the one light of like humor and uh, kind of r- reality in this film because it does go to a level where you're really in someone's head about their particular situation, you know, you're following this wife and you're all about her feelings and her emotional ride. And you forget like other characters, other people live in the world. And then Fran comes in and just, you know, starts giving him all reality checks out of here. So that was kind of fun. That was interesting to watch. Um, you know, I, I will recommend this one too. One, because I feel like, again, this is probably the, the best American version of Giallo, um, or at least the best attempt. Uh, there may be some others that have come since then, but this was probably at the tail end of that wave, right as we hit 1980. So it's at least something that's of the time and fairly similar. So at least give it a watch. It's an interesting experiment. Just remember, it gets a little dicey with some of the premise, especially as you find out everything, all the characters and all their motivations at the end. So, all right. One more that I want to talk about here. And this was a little bit of a surprise because I didn't plan this. I really just wanted to watch films, but I did find this documentary. Um, I think it's on what Shutter or AMC plus or something. You might be able to find it other places too, but this one here is called, uh, All right, so this one is number 147. This is All the Colors of Giallo. It's about a riot of color as well, a sort of candy-colored kill-fest nightmare. After the Second World War, there was a publisher called Goldman, 
and Goldman produced a new series of paperbacks with criminal novels which is called Rote Krimis, which is very close to the phenomenon of the Italian giallo. This is a film, uh, it's a documentary that takes a look at this genre. And it's interesting because it was produced uh, just in uh, 2019, just a few years ago. And yet it's able to look back at all these films with some hindsight, with some context. And, uh, and some of the films that I've talked about are definitely featured in that. There's a lot of other films. Uh, there's, there's some interviews with the filmmakers themselves, with some, you know, film historians and, you know, people who are more entrenched in this genre and European film. There's some of the, the actors that are in some of these. So I just feel like it's, it's a look at this genre from the people who worked in this genre. I mean, all the filmmakers that I mentioned in these other films are in this. On camera, uh, except for Lucio Fulci, he passed away several years ago. Um, but everybody else is here. Um, there's other filmmakers. I definitely took some notes. I got some some others lined up to watch based off of this. So this is a good find. Um, it's it, it's also good to kind of break down like the 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 not the path the evolution of the genre. Like from its beginnings, apparently it started based off of an era of German crime novels that kind of migrated in concept to Italian writers and and novelists. And that became a a basis for the film genre, you know, similar stories, but on film. And that eventually evolved over some of these films that we talked about here, but into more supernatural and straight horror films with zombies and, you know, vampires and whatever. So you kind of see the arc there. You see the, the entire path. So that's a good watch too. I think that's interesting. Check that one out. That's all the colors of Giallo. That's uh, number 147. That's a little bonus here on film street. It's also worth the watch though. Definitely a recommend. All right, so look, that's another episode of Film Streak. This has been a lot of fun. These particular films have been uh, really, I, I feel like I've done something. <laughs> it's weird to say, I guess. But I feel like I've really stretched, I've, I've expanded the horizons a little bit. You know, I'd never really gone into horror films, at least from Europe. You know, I've gone into some of the Asian horror films um, throughout the years, but European films, I. I don't necessarily go there too much. And so here was a nice way to get into that by way of horror, by way of October, by way of Halloween. So now you tell me that I just not understand some of these films. Maybe there are other films that are even better that I don't know about. This is a, this is a new genre for me and I'm really fascinated with it. I am actually the, the style of it, the the storytelling approach, uh, I like it. I mean, I feel like this is a thing that 
has worked its way into so many other films, especially horror films, but even other genres. I mean, you think about something like Friday 13th, you think about something like Scream, where you got a killer who nobody knows who it is, but it's one of the people that's on camera. Here was a thing where I just thought, uh, I, I like this. There's something about it I like. I can't quite put a finger on it. Maybe it's because it's older, too. Like, these films don't exist. I mean, they don't make films like this anymore. And so that's an interesting thing to uh, to be fascinated with is, like, we'll never get a film like this again. So the ones that we have, let's appreciate them, right? All right. So anyway, if you have some thoughts, you have some uh, some suggestions, you have some other films like this, let me know. Send that to comments at filmstreak.com. Or you can also go to filmstreak.com. You can find this episode and other episodes. You can subscribe if you haven't. Um, I think I'm going to put my list. I have a full master list that I have on IMDb that keeps track of all of the films on Filmstreak so far. So I think I'm going to put that on filmstreak.com. So you can go there. You can link to that. You can uh, see the films. You can add them to your list if you use it that way. Uh, Or just find out more about the films. Watch the trailer or whatever. So uh, in the meantime, I'm Rob. This has been Filmstreak. And uh, we'll see you next time. Okay? All right. Take care. Be safe.